the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of Good morning, everyone. Good morning from Tokyo, Japan. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And welcome back to the latest edition of the Sake Future Summit. You may remember that back in 2020, when everything was going sideways, we put together a pretty impressive slate of programming about Japanese kokushu, namely sake, shochu, and awamori for people all over the world to enjoy and to learn. And we are bringing back, after a couple year absence, a kind of abbreviated version of the Sake Future Summit. And we've got another global cast of characters, experts, and themes for you to enjoy wherever you happen to be in the world right now. I am in Tokyo. My name is Christopher Pellegrini, at your service. The first session today is a multinational conversation that's going to be happening live, beaming to you wherever you are in the world. And first off today, I'm really excited about our, our beginning session because a good friend of mine who, I, he, I feel like he ditched me, but he's in another part of the world now. And uh, I'm, I haven't been able to talk to him since last year, so this is very exciting for me. Um, but he has put together a panel of experts to talk to you about the international spread and the international enjoyment of sake. So without further ado, I would like to make a connection between the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association's Information Center in downtown Tokyo and far away Arkansas. And I would like to welcome to the show the one and only Justin Potts. Justin, are you out there? I am indeed. Can you hear me out there, Christopher? I can hear you. How are you doing? Perfect. I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm missing a little bit of Japan, but I'm absolutely loving it here. Well, Japan misses you too. Um, and uh, we just had a, a bonen kai arc our end of the year party. And it was, I'm not going to lie. It was weird that you weren't there. <laughs> it was, it was weirder seeing pictures where I wasn't there. <laughs> I was, I was definitely missing that one. I'm definitely missing you guys, but it's, so it's, how, it's how are you? You're in... you guys doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm, I'm curious about how things are going for you though. Cause we haven't spoken for so long. You're in Arkansas yeah. now. How are things? Oh, things are, it's a, it's an adventure every single day. You know, uh, we're, we are starting everything from scratch right here. So I've transplanted myself to uh, the beautiful town of Hot Springs, Arkansas, where we are in the process of opening origami sake. Um, and we're doing everything from the ground up. So um, we're, it's not just a matter of making the sake, we're building our 
we're putting together our uh, infrastructure. We're building our build, building our brewery. We are, you know, engineering and fabricating equipment. It's everything is all happening in tandem. So it's been a, it's been an absolute adventure. So every day is, it's been the most, well, honestly, one of the most exciting challenges I've, I've ever had the, um, you know, the honor, the pleasure to be able to engage in. So it's just this perfect balance of, um, both feeling like I'm in my wheelhouse, but being infinitely challenged every day. And so it's it's just super rewarding every single day. It sounds amazing. Um, and you are definitely the type who loves to juggle several things at once. So it sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, as much as I try to not, for some reason, I, I keep bending up in that position. Um, I don't know if that's my doing um, or exactly how that works out, but no, it's. I'm really excited though, because right now I'm able to. I'm actually for at least for the immediate future. I'm really focusing on the um, sort of the more the brewing component and the things more directly um, associated with that, which you know that that extrapolates into everything else. You have to be thinking about everything at the same time. Um, yeah. But um, just uh, to have that opportunity to kind of spend a bit more time focusing on that is is really really great. Because I haven't had the chance to do that in a few years. So oh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been great. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that on this this session that you're about to host. Um, can you give us like a the you know the executive summary about what we're about to witness? Yeah, so you know, I was I was tasked with um, the very broad um, topic and title title of the global transformation of sake, mm -hmm. um, and which. Um, the second you stick the word global in there, you know, you're talking different regions, you're talking different countries and every single country and region obviously comes with it its own, you know, um, legal and regulatory differences, you know, cost, economic differences. There's so much nuance to every single market. It's really, it, it's a challenge to try and, you know, wrap everything into one sort of global definition or one singular global perspective. Um, but, you know, we were actually just kind of talking, um, with, right before we got on here, uh, one of our panelists here, Lorenzo, he was, he was saying, you know, gosh, this is actually such a special opportunity to be able to bring everybody together because, you know, so many markets, they spend so much time siloed out, you know, in their own space, um, speaking amongst themselves. Um, whereas, you know, if you take the time to, you know, step back every now and then, um, and sort of, you know, pull the pull the lens back just a little bit further and get a little bit of more perspective as to how um, other people in other parts of the world are approaching and engaging with, you know, in this case, um, sake and, and shochu, um, you know, that may very well go to inform, you know, um, how people in other parts of the world might um, tackle new challenges or, you know, introduce those fantastic beverages to people. So, you know, it's, we kind of take it for granted that we're sort of connected with everyone all the time. Um, but the amount of time that uh, that we actually spend, you know, sitting down and just dedicating, you know, a block of time to doing that is, you know, it's, it's fewer and further between than we often think it is. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty great opportunity. And so I feel very honored and humbled to be able to um, kick the uh, uh, kick the summit off uh, with this particular session today. Yeah, getting started with a with a big group of very important, influential people from the sake world, based all around the world, as you said. And uh, so, you know, there's there's no better way to get this started. I think um, we were just watching one of the episodes from 2020, one of the early ep earliest episodes, and it's just. Um, 
it's it's really fun to see how far things have come is i guess what i i want to say here how the recognition of these drinks has has come up come along come up there's a lot more knowledge out there we're not just talking about the basics anymore and that's of course part of your legacy having started this whole thing back in 2020 and putting so your butt you're back into it every single day for months and uh there's no better person to be kicking us off this year i feel so thank you so much for joining us from arkansas and i really wish you all the luck in the world with origami it's going to be so exciting to see what you guys are are able to do over there and how it fits into every all the other exciting things that your guests are going to be talking about with us in in a couple of minutes so um with that let me hand it over to you you take the reins thank you mr pellegrini i appreciate it excellent i guess that means it is time for us to get started so i guess once again um thank you chris um thank you to the japan sake and shochu makers association and to everybody who's helped make this event possible i'm absolutely honored and humbled to be helping kick this off this morning evening wherever you're at uh, my name is justin potts i'm the producer and one of the co-hosts over at sake on air and now as we just discussed um as of recently the director of brewing relations over at origami sake uh, in the heart of rice country here in arkansas uh, today our topic at hand is the global transformation of sake and as we were just discussing this is a very vast and broad uh, topic that has that carries with it different weight and different nuance in different corners of the globe and different regions. Um, however, we're going to try to paint in slightly broader strokes, um, provide a little bit of more of a macro perspective as to what the past couple years um, brought about for the world of sake, um, what we're facing currently and in the year ahead. And then we'll see if we might be able to sort of peer into our crystal balls a little bit and sort of imagine what a future of sake um, will look like um, in the relatively near future. Um, today, I am super excited and very humbled to be joined by um, three trailblazers in their own right, in their own territories, uh, in different places across the globe. Today, I am joined by uh, Monica Samuels, who is the Vice President of Sake and Spirits over at Vine Connections and heading up the Komi Collective Initiative, um, focusing on Japanese sake and spirits. Um, I'm also joined by Lorenzo Fedoboski, who is the CEO of Sake Company, based out of Milan, as well as uh, Hugo Chen, who is the manager over at the your place for all things sake in Hong Kong, Sake Central. Um, a, first and foremost, a huge thank you to the three of you uh, for taking time to stay up. Some of you folks are staying up really late. Some of you folks are staying up or getting up very early. Um, Hugo, I know you just got off the plane and it's bright and early there and you just got back from Osaka. So I can't thank you all enough for um, making time to join me um, here today. Um, I guess just to kick this off, I want to make sure everybody who's listening knows exactly who they're talking to. So I'm just going to kind of go around the, the digital table here real quick. And I think I'll start with Monica. And if you just wouldn't mind taking just a moment to tell um, our viewers and listeners um, uh, just a tad bit more about yourself and sort of your role and the scope of um, your work. Thank you so much, Justin. Um, it is a real pleasure to share the Zoom screen with all of you today. I am Monica Samuels. Um, as Justin mentioned, I'm the Vice President of Sake and Spirits. 
Uh, I work for a importer of wine and sake called Vine Connections. Um, we've been importing wine since 1999 and sake since 2000 and um, in all 50 states and um, throughout the nation of Canada as well. And our Japanese division, which was just founded uh, last year, is called Kome Collective. And I'm based in New York, uh, although you'll find me usually standing in line to board a United flight most of the time. <laughs> You're on the move. For, for the longest time, I actually had no idea where you were placed, Monica. I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Um, so at least, at least now I know where I should attempt to track you down when, when, whenever I have to. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Um, Lorenzo, how about yourself? You want to tell us about yourself and, and the sake company? Okay. Well, well um, uh, thank you for, for this opportunity, first of all, to Justin and all the organization uh, and, and Christopher and the summit. Um, I'm based in Milan. I'm the founder of Sake Company. Is a vertical uh, sake specialized import and distribution company based on culture, uh, meaning explaining what sake is and then selling it, because that's not taken for granted, not to be taken for granted in Europe yet. So uh, we do education and we do sales, education first, I would say. Um, along with Sake Company, um, in time, in 2016, we also created um, Sakea, which is a restaurant. It's, it's like a gym for us, where you can train uh, sake pairing with, uh, uh, with, with, with food. And so, and, and along, again, with time, we um, represent the Sake Sommelier Association, so we train uh, for people to become a bit more expert in sake. So we do all the things together in the, with the main goal of explaining what sake is before buying it. So people can buy it with more uh, confidence and, and not just, you know, just because sake is trendy or something like that. So, yeah. So uh, welcome everybody. I, I hope this tonight for me, because I'm based in Milan, would be a, a sort of an educational, but a, a more a, a sort of a motivational uh, talk and speech uh, that connects everybody all over the world. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Lorenzo. Like I said, I'm super excited to have you here because you do have, I said, you have your hands in sort of every single aspect of everything. And I also, <laughs> yeah, and I also just realized for the very first time that um, we, we need a sake gym. So um, thank you for that. <laughs> now I have another list of things that um, I have to somehow realized. Excellent. Uh, now we'll pop over to Hong Kong real quick. Uh, Hugo, uh, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and um, Sake Central? Yeah, so um, hi, everybody. Um, thank you for this opportunities. Thank you for the um, invites. And uh, thank you for the GSS to, um, again, have this opportunity for all of us to get together just to have a very fun um, conversations that we can have for the next hours. Uh, my name is Hugo Chen, and um, I am from Hong Kong. I work in Sake Centro right now. Um, Sake Centro is a place that um, will teach, with educate, we help people to understand um, sake within, um, from our own perspective. We do sake pairing inside our shop as well. Um, I myself used to work in um, investment and asset management just a couple of years ago. So I actually come from a very different perspective from most of the people that is from this 
um, industry, I would say. So um, I fell in love with sake um, over six, seven years ago. And I just have a reckoning that I would really love to do something that I like. And I figured sake is one of the things that I really, really want to do. So I just dip my hands in and um, find a place like Sake Centro that is, has welcome arms, um, so many different scoops of work that I can do, investments, working with the governments, not just from Japan, but also from Hong Kong and other places as well. So it's a very, very fun journey for me. And um, it nice. gets me to here right now. And by the way, I'm just, trying to run out my batteries as what um, Justin said. I just came off the plane a few hours ago. So after this, I'll just go back to sleep and forget about everything. <laughs> 50, 50 minutes, Hugo. It's, a, it's just a sprint. It's just a short sprint. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. We'll make I'll, it. I'll make it. I'll make it. Excellent. 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 Well, you know, I've, I'm super excited also, obviously, that you're on here as well, too. I said you you bring some of that that financial perspective, which arguably the industry you know, lacks in some degree. And if there's one of one thing that um, the Sake and Sochu industries could use, it would be uh, a, a little more uh, funds and funding. So I, I hope you will be able to chat a little bit about that and we can lean on some of your expertise as we dig in here. Um, to get started, um, I, for our first topic, you know, I think everybody's kind of sick about talking about all the madness and mess of the past couple of years. Um, but I think in order to sort of couch the conversation a little bit of context, I think it's worth taking just a step back for just a moment and sort of um, catching up with the three of you as to sort of what you all sort of gleaned about yourselves and your roles sort of in your business and in your local markets um, respectively, because, you know, I imagine that, you know, the previous and honestly ongoing challenges of the past couple of years, I imagine they probably taught you a few things um, about your place in your role. So I'd like to kind of recap almost a little bit and, a little bit to get started. So I guess, Hugo, while we were chatting with you, I guess, you know, obviously Hong Kong has been in the news for a handful of reasons, sake aside, you know, you guys have obviously, there's been a, a lot of transition and change and some unique challenges that you guys are obviously up against. But I guess in that really intense sort of transition um, that's happened over the past few years and that's sort of ongoing, what did you sort of glean or what did you learn about Sake Central's role and your role um, as a purveyor of fine beverages um, in that local market? Yeah, because um, I think one of the benefits that when Sake Central opened back in 2017 was a place that we can actually gather people from all around the world and um, sake lovers that um, not just from Hong Kong only, but mostly we're focusing on global market a little bit more. At that period of time when we st first started so when we first started we almost aimed at like global market only and we didn't really have um a connection with the locals actually because in hong kong the um is a very hyper competitive like um society and for for sake especially you got so many players as like distributors you have restaurants um a lot of japanese restaurants you just got so many competitions from all the way around. So our goal was to separate ourselves from mostly and divert ourselves from the local market. So we actually stand in a little different perspective when we look at things. However, when it comes to COVID 
and when the whole world closed down, you don't have that opportunity anymore. So we focus more back to focus more on how to um, work with the locals, how to um, get back to not to say like the good side, but like we we try to get back to have a lot more connections with the local market as well. So I think during that period of time when I step in and when I come into the company, um, it was in the midst of the COVID. So and in the midst of COVID, when you start to try to connect with the locals, I used to have some connections that I have, not just from the, the sake industry side, but also from my own um, personal experience with my previous um, career as well. So I helped get them link up a little bit more. However, in Hong Kong, the it's just the the, compar- the, the competition is just so fierce. Um, just in 2020 and 2021, you've got like 50 to 60 just new distributors and importers just coming up. Um, wow. When you got people coming in, but you, you also got people coming out as well. But like the, the problem is that when you when certain distributors and certain brands that is represented inside Hong Kong, you ought to give them time to um, develop, right? Inside market that is supposed to be something to for marketing and like how to develop a brand in a certain market. But with the unique thing that in Hong Kong is that we are pretty much a very fast food style um, society is that people are very keen on learning new stuff. But when they're keen on learning new stuff, they also keen on getting rid of something that in their mind is a little bit old style or like already not in the trend. So how to com- like how to combat that is a pretty a big problem for us during the past two, three years. And also for my perspective is that like in Hong Kong, um, with the midst of change and everything, there are a lot of like people that is actually leaving Hong Kong. Um, I used to work in finance and like when you work in finance, some of the, uh, you have to have like license, for example, to work in Hong Kong for certain like um, investment and like asset management, those kind of things. And like some of the research has told us that like 60%, 65% right now of like the license holder actually left Hong Kong and went to like other places like Singapore, like um, America, back to their places as well. So you can actually see the changes in the Hong Kong societies that um, the old customer base is actually like going off and we have to develop something new for us to survive as well inside a um, society right now. Yeah, I think that's gotta, that's gotta be a massive, I mean, just that that influx of, you know, yeah, different, like, different clientele that, I mean, it has to be incredibly intense. I mean, cause you're, I mean, you're in a place where you're working with, in a sense, your own product things that you're bringing in or distributing or whatnot, but also, you know, working with those different distributors to bring in product and different things to to your space in order to educate and share. And so, and at the same time, having to basically create a new a new local customer base. I mean, that must have been incredibly intense. Yeah, that is really, really intense, especially because um, I think one of the problems that we have was that the foundation we have was purely focusing on global market only when we first started. So we didn't have much connections. And even we have, we didn't use it um, fully. So 
the one of the challenges that when I first came in is that how I can help um, Sake Central to link up with the locals, not just with like local customers, but also local distributors, um, local restaurants. So how we can uh, work together and, and actually and introduce us, actually our concepts to them as well. And that is uh, very challenging, but also very fun, I would say. Yeah, I bet. And probably very rewarding as well, too. Did you Have you found that that market to be receptive and has it changed sort of the the demographic of of customers uh, of Sake Central? I I would love to think that I have to make some changes. <laughs> <laughs> I love to think that, but um, yeah. you never know. Like I I like to talk with customers all the time, and I I I can sense there's some kind of changes, especially for people that are coming into the shop. They have a certain expectation now. And before that, you will have people just come in and like they they would like to have a glass of sake, but they have absolutely no idea what sake is. Um, right now, you'll have people come in that they know a little bit. So when you talk to them, it's easier actually. But in the same time, it's, it's much more challenging as well because you, you're you're talking about educations now. You have to talk about like how you can um, guide them through certain kind of like situations when you stumble in on like drinking sakis like what kind of taste you're going to have what kind of aroma you're going to expect like those kind of things but i overall is really really fun i would say yeah i bet that's got to be super rewarding awesome yeah. i said i've got a, i've got a couple things i want to get back to on that but i'm going to kind of go around the table a little bit um i guess we'll pop over to monica maybe um, cause I mean, Monica, obviously covering the U S 50 different States and all of Canada, I mean, covering 50 different States in the U S is more or less the equivalent of covering 50 different countries pretty much in, in some respects. And so, you know, you're not looking at how, you know, changes in turmoil or, or affecting a single, a single entity, but it's, it's all those different places. So, you know, how did, how, how did you guys, um, work through that? Well, I think that what a lot of people did during the pandemic was, you know, take that opportunity, especially for someone like me who is is normally moving to all of a sudden be grounded um, at home. There was there were a lot of different things to work on. And uh, one thing that's been that had been in the works or been in discussion for a very long time was rebranding our Japanese division and making it uh, creating a separate identity other than Vine Connections. It was 2020 was the first year that we sold more sake than wine as a company. And, um, you know, there, there are quite a, there's a handful of wine importers in the U.S. who also import sake, but it's a very small percentage of their overall revenue. And um, we became a sake forward company during the pandemic, which was really interesting because I found that people were so starved for something new and you know like hugo was saying everyone likes stimulation and the shiny new thing and when you're stuck at home and you only know how to cook four things and you you went out and bought you know two cases of wine and panic shopped at costco and it just it every day sort of starts to roll into another and so we found that sake was really resilient during mm. during the pandem pandemic which was great and as it continued to outsell wine i just felt kind of ridiculous that we were a company that sounded like a, like a wine company being Vine Connections. And so um, we rebranded our Japanese division, which is meaningful on, on a few different levels. You know, I think it really did 
show the industry that we were doubling down on the category and that we really um, believed in the runway for sake being very, very long. And um, we're making a, we're making a meaningful investment in that future. And it gave us an opportunity to update all of our back labels with QR codes and um, kind of create create some different narratives on themes of our sake rather than going to the website and seeing this archaic, you know, these are, we have 24 Junmais and 18 Junmai Ginjos and, and um, really getting people to think about different themes. But, and so our division is called Komei Collective and the collective part is what I'm really the most proud of what we achieved during the pandemic because we represent great sake and we're very passionate about it, but um, this was really a great chance to spotlight our people. And, you know, I think we're a very unique company. Um, our portfolio was initially curated by John Gottner, who I still work get to work very closely with as we continue to develop our portfolio. Um, we represent amazing people in terms of the brewers and, and our team is, is incredibly unique in terms of our sake specialist team. Um, I have a team of four and none of them applied to work for our company. I uh, found them all um, on the internet and stalked them. And, them <laughs> and in, in, everyone's, um, in everyone's case, convinced them to leave their industry to, to join ours. So um, they really stood out to the point where you couldn't ignore them. And, and as, you know, another part of the pandemic that, that's a real challenge for employers is retaining employees. You know, I think the mm -hmm. pandemic really inspired people to think outside the box in terms of what they want to do next, like Hugo. And, um, you know, I, and so I wanted to focus, obviously we can't be the most competitive um, salary, salaried company that, that there's just no end to that war. And so really trying to find a way for our our team to feel like their voices were being reflected in every, in all of our communication and all of our educational materials. And that what, was meaningful to them that we showed them that it was really important to us. And so um, one of our team members who Hugo, it sounds like you met in Tokyo last month, um, Jesse Bronner, he was just in Japan working at a couple of our breweries, um, which was part of a initiative that he really wanted us to lead on sustainability. Um, and so he went to work for two breweries who really do go above and beyond in terms of their efforts and sustainability. And he, um, really challenged all of our producers last year by asking them what they're doing in terms of sustainability and organic rice growing and um, and really got them to think in a different way. And so I, I just tried to find as many ways to engage people so that they really feel like they own what they're doing, because I think the why became more important than ever during the pandemic um, in terms of just feeling like what you're doing has meaning. So that was, um, it's it's not, we certainly haven't finished doing what we're doing uh, in that, as far as that goes, but uh, we've planted a lot of really great seeds. Well, no, that's fantastic. So it's like, it's, it can't, I mean, it can't be emphasized enough, right? I mean, staffing challenges and things like that are ongoing, especially in, you know, the food industry and the restaurant industry and things like that is how do you keep people, you know, and good people around that are, that are doing good work you know, and that want to do good work, you know, and so it, it's starting to become come down to the question of why. And I think that's, that's going to inform a lot of probably what we end up doing in the direction we end up taking things probably in the in the next couple of years is sort of doubling down on that on that why, because it's becoming so much more important to people. So that's super exciting to hear that that's that that's a space that you guys really um, committed to and invested that time and energy. And that's, that's beautiful. I, I like that a lot. Very cool. Um, I'm going to 
jump over to Lorenzo for just a moment here, if you don't mind. Uh, Lorenzo, you are based out of Milan, um, yeah. but you are, you know, as you mentioned, you've got your hand in a lot of things in the world of sake, aside from bringing it in is, and then getting it out to people. You're looking at the education, you're doing, looking at um, communication on so many levels. Um, what was it, what did you learn about, you know, sort of your company and sort of your position maybe in, in Milan, in Italy, but maybe then in the larger scope of, uh, of Europe and over the past couple of years? Yeah, but listening to Hugo and Monica, actually, I kind of felt we lived similar, I mean, different states, but in a way similar uh, something that happened. I mean, uh, Hugo talked about education and ed educate people, and for me, was uh, was uh, something that kind of uh, um, surprised me because I always felt like Asia and Hong Kong was like ahead compared to Milan. But then Hugo said we need to educate people for them to understand sake, and and that, that was really interesting for me and I actually I want to phone him up later after this to know more about it and then Monica said that he, he, they brought something more something new something you know to become the uh, sake driven company which for me America is the is a country that actually drinks so much more sake than, than Europe so I listened to Hugo and Monica like some two people that are ahead a few years compared to Europe. So for me, they're like telling me what's going to happen. Yeah. And what happened during the uh, pandemic, it's that we changed our company. We started to stop selling sake and thinking, because we, we used to sell to B2B, as we say, so business to business restaurants, hotels, and, and those places were stopped, were, were closed. So we needed to change. And we needed to change and we needed because we're small we changed quickly and we needed to reinforce and we change everything so we focused on education we focused on on explanation we focused on uh, on what's the content compared to the outside the, the, so sake was not uh we we tried to focus on 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 educating and and that brought us to a totally new level during the pandemic. Uh, now the pandemic is not finished, but you know we kind of see it as if it was kind of past mm -hmm. issue, even if it's not past yet. Yeah. But uh, we kind of you know embracing that new philosophies in a way. And and um, we now understand what's left after the pandemic, which is. A lot more, in a way, uh, and a new company, and a new way of setting, and, and a new way of approaching. We, in, in the beginning, we used to sell sake, and now we uh, focus more on uh, educating, educating the, the the client before selling. Mm -hmm. We changed. I mean, on on the surface, just this website, anyway. But that's, mm -hmm. but we changed. We built online courses. We built uh, YouTube channels. We built um, ways to uh, inform customers before selling. Uh, we stopped selling to everybody. We just sell to those that understand better 
because we understand they are those that will talk positively about sake. Mm. We try not to sell uh, to uh, clients that, uh, I mean, do not, I mean, saying respect, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult word, but um, we try to understand who's buying um, and tra translating tra the transition was not easy because the 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 reduction the, the pass, uh, going from going from a, a open market to a, a reduction so less clients open was very tough so we really became a sort of a, a different company during the pandemic mm -hmm. and, and and focusing on the uh, content more than the product was the step that kept us um, alive. Now I can see it uh, after the after the uh, the COVID. I remember that during the COVID, I used to to post a video every every week, every Monday, analyzing a second. And I used to bother uh, to to phone up uh, to to call a, a different Kuramoto every week. Asking the, the 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 you know the behind the scene of the production of that sake and making a presentation and making and I made fifty two videos a whole year fifty two wow. weeks, and that became uh, uh, something that helped actually to change the company because people uh, started to look at the you know at the scene behind making it. so from that kind of started to rise um, not only for that but that's one of the example uh, also courses online and the first time we actually made a course after a few months without any uh, physical courses we had hundreds of people came, come to the online course which is a number that in italy it's insane usually we had like yeah. 20 30 people to one physical course but we had an online course of 100 and more people were coming. So we felt the need after the 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 the, uh, uh, the, the, the pandemic. And then also uh, the connection with Japan became stronger because before the the pandemic, we used to go every year. Mm. But then when the pandemic the, the pandemic started and we physically couldn't go, then the connection got stronger on the opposite because we couldn't go. So from Japan, the re request, the, the invitation came, let's get uh, uh, digitally together. So we built a, a, a virtual um, uh, tour to the Sakaguras in Japan and hundreds of Italian people online logged in and we went visit virtually to the Sakaguras, which was, a way to test how the market was eager was was like um with the you know uh how do you say uh, hung, uh with the, the belly for, yeah, for, for the, find the, the hunger. hunger 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 yeah yeah, yeah. For, for going there so that was me for me it was a you know all, all tests for how the market is ready because if the market is not ready you can try to sell but it's not going to get it. But if the market asks for you for new things, then is the moment when the market is ready for new sake, new information. And I would say at the end of this, the line we can draw is that uh, Europe came up, came uh, 
back after the pandemic with more thirst of sake, more need of information and more requests of the good uh, distribution of sake, which is which doesn't mean uh, just selling the bottle, but mean they I mean Italian people, Spanish, French, German, they want to know who's making it. They want to know what's behind the bottle. If you can tell them what's behind the bottle, they will be uh, super customers because they will never betray you. Yeah, yeah. that's all you know, the process that we lived during the uh, pandemic. I believe. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's super exciting and and, and and inspiring. And you bring up a good point that you know, in in a time of struggle, it was it was actually it really did serve as a really good way of yeah of uh, actual like real tangible evidence that there is a real hunger out there and that yes people but do want to know they're ready to go to the next step and and i, I have to say japanese yeah. i have to say japanese people japanese makers so kuramoto kurabito and all these people that make sake they were super 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 um open to share and to open their cameras to us yeah. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know to testify that they want to be together with us yeah. So that was very uh, moving in some times. So very, absolutely, very absolutely, and that's beautiful. And that's actually I, that, I, that idea of sort of communication and that idea of sort of education. Um, I think is is obviously it's it's critical whether you're talking about sitting in a classroom, yeah. you know, doing tastings, or you're educating um, individuals online, or you're educating distributors, or you know, where wherever that um, that target uh, might be. I mean, based on sort of that experience of the last couple of years, you know, how do we then approach communication and, and education going forward and sort of what are the sort of the important points and places that might be worth spending more time and energy is actually something I kind of want to talk to all of you about and kind of see what see what you think, because it's right the the way in which people have been able to get information about sake and the different channels, the different means, the volume, the quality has all just grown exponentially. And so I'm curious. So for example, say Monica, I know that obviously being part of Vine Connections, you all have, I guess what you could call maybe a sort of a wine approach to communicating and selling sake. And I'm, and sort of, I'm curious to know about, you know, the idea of sort of selling sake alongside wine. You said, you know, your sake sales eclipsed wine, um, as of 2020, which is which is mind blowing and super exciting, um, but sort of how did I guess not just sake, but sort of evolutions and changes in the wine market and sort of how you were informing people. How does how has that sort of gone on to inform how you approach informing or educating your your sake customers and sort of what did you take from the last couple of years and what are you going to take with you going forward? Um, well, thank you for that question. You know, I think it's it's funny how how triggering it can be for sake people sometimes to to hear these to hear the analogy getting a little too uh too wine forward and i always see people on twitter saying like talking about the merit of discussing terroir if it exists in sake or you know why are you trying to put these french words on a sake label um and so i would just like to preface by saying that uh we're not trying to pretend like sake is wine um yeah. But there, there is an important distinction there. <laughs> um, because of our distribution network, uh, we started as a wine importer. And so our distribution network um, 
in the 50 states where there's a three-tier system, uh, were aligned with fine wine distributors. And so I always had to talk about sake through the lens of wine to make a wine salesperson feel comfortable enough to go throw a bottle of sake in their bag full of wine. And, um, and you know, I would make these presentations to distributors and they would say, okay, well, Monica's got a point here. There's a lot of opportunity. I want every one of you to put a sake day on your calendar where you're just going to go sell to sake to sake accounts. And that's not really realistic. Everyone has a lot to do. Um, geography makes it impossible to try to see all of your sake customers in one day. Maybe half your sake customers don't like to see you on Tuesdays and the other half or only there on Tuesdays. And so the only way to really expand sake in our network is to have people think of it alongside wine. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of sake education, um, the barrier to entry is first you have to learn this glossary of terms, you know, and um, and you have to kind of earn the right to understand how to pick a pick a bottle of sake. And, and I am dealing with an audience that isn't necessarily going to do that first uh, to 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 cross that first bridge. And so, um, you know, I, I, our sales team and our distributors, I try to get them to think about a sake. Is this is this a red wine sake or a white wine sake? You know, is this more and that will dictate, you know, temperature choices, food pairing choices, you know, is something really bright and pure and fruity, or is it more savory and complex? Um, and then, and then also, I think that it helps people to not think about sake as this very specific flavor. You know, I think we've all heard people say, oh, yeah, I've tried, tried sake before, like sake is not, yeah. not really my thing. And I think that we probably all believe that there is a sake out there for, for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and just because you've tried a few and don't like it, you just haven't tried the right one. And so a lot of our um, educational materials are like, okay, well, are you a Napa Valley Cabernet drinker? Then you should try this sake. Are you a you know, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc drinker? Then you should try this sake. And mm -hmm. it's... Um, it's really helps to people to think about sake in other settings outside of just Japanese restaurants as well. And um, one of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite events that we did um, was where we worked with a producer who's, there's a lot of minerality in a sake and it comes mm. from these uh, limestone caves, um, Akiyoshida and Yamaguchi. And we did, mm. we, did this, we did a dinner that was just, uh, the theme was limestone. And so we used, you know, Blanc de Blanc champagne that's really has really strong minerality. We used a Sylvaner that has this like really great chalky minerality. We and we introduced the sake in that narrative, and um, it was just completely different how people received it. And so I think, I think that there are ways to sell sake through the lens of wine without compromising um, how special sake is on its own. Right. It's 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 that it's an, that ongoing challenge, right? Is how do you get folks to take sake on its own terms? Right. And be able to appreciate it and and do that while at the same time, you know, leveraging the resources that are readily available. Right. You know, it's so it's 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 always the kind of a balancing act. But that distinction, like you said, selling sake as wine versus selling it alongside wine, it while it might feel feel like a, a slim distinction to some, it's so it, it's so critical and it really does make such a big difference. Absolutely. That's excellent. Yeah. Hugo, you were actually earlier on, I, I, I kind of cut you off a little bit earlier on the session we were chatting, you were talking a little bit about education and you referred to sort of Hong Kong actually being a relatively educated market, which is interesting. I mean, you guys, in terms of numbers, you guys do pretty well over there. 
um often hong kong often gets kind of hell up on a pedestal for it here's here's what here's you know here's where we want to go here's what we want to try and get to um i think a lot of people don't necessarily think of there even necessarily being a quote-unquote mature sake market um however you sort of you sort of at least in where you're at sake central you look at this sort of there actually is a relatively large popula population of relatively well-educated individuals how are you sort of approaching education then at sake central and sort of how are you thinking about that in your context i i actually think that's like um i i tend to use the wrong words when i talk about like relatively educated like i'm not saying people are not educated and stuff it's just that i think in hong kong we have a certain um trend right now is that we treat things very luxuriously i would say like especially for for alcohol and sake like and like not just alcohol sake but like wines and everything we treat things very luxuriously so when you look at things that is very luxurious you for hong kong people especially they they tend to go on to have something that is really really luxurious and to drink something really really luxurious so like in hong kong the 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 mindset of like people are relatively educated is that it's just self-implemented i would say sometimes um that the market in hong kong especially for for just like money spending is just enormous i think like in 2020 we we're like the top three and all over the world and the numbers dropped a little bit and and the number drops is is expected i would say uh, like some people would get confused as like oh like uh, um your market is training up where where to start dropping down what is going on and people would get like confused i got questions from consulates sometimes and they're asking me like hey do you have certain like reasons or like you know certain reasons why the number is dropping and i was like this is very normal because 2020 and 2021 is not normal in the whole world mm. so like when you're looking for something that is has a has a spike suddenly and it goes down a little bit the trend is actually still going up. It's just mm -hmm. you you already tasted this the 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 the, the top ones. So you <laughs> always look for the top. That that's human nature, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in Hong Kong, the 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 problem is that the, the market is so big, but the actually like the, the the volume people consume is so big as well, but they only look at things very one dimensionally. Mm. So for example, like I when I stay in the shop sometimes and and I will have people coming in and they will say that, hey, um, I like to drink sake. I, I like to drink sake, uh, but I only drink Jumai Daginger because I only think Jumai Daginger is the best. But mm -hmm. for them, it's that because they feel like they're already educated because they only drink Jumai Daginger, they drink a lot of Jumai Daginger. Mm -hmm. And they think they are capable of expressing themselves. But our problem is that how to get you to think multidimensionally. That is mm -hmm. our goal. And is that and telling them, hey, maybe when you're doing barbecues and you're doing like, uh, um, I like when you're doing barbecues, you might not want to get a Jumai Daginja to go pairing with it. Mm -hmm. You might want to have a, a Jumai Shu, you, you might want to have a Honjozo. And mm -hmm. people might want to think that, hey, I, I feel like, um, a Jumaishu and a Honjozo is just very cheap and it's not things that I'm looking for for luxurious things. But mm. the 
the problem or the, the the way that we tackle this kind of thing is that we tell them that not every sake is at a certain kind of price and it has the reason but the taste is the taste the taste is all mm. all kind of taste are different so just because you like a certain kind of taste doesn't mean that other tastes are bad as well mm. so that is something that is management expectations i would say sometimes is that mm. how you can manage people's expectation in certain ways when you introduce a sake to them but also help selling the concept of sake itself to people as well and i think one of the good ways to do it is actually doing more like these kind of like summits or like actual like events like uh, um, ceremonies kind of things that you'll have opportunity to explain to people a little bit more in depth about um, sake and its culture and as uh, chemicals and its logic behind it. Like for example, I would really, really love to have a conversation, a deep down conversation with just sakakula and have people listening about and talking about soil problem when they do rice cultivating. Like these kind of things are very much in depth, but also it's something that can trigger people's interest to know, know more about um, sake in a different kind of way as well. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really good point with that. That that multidimensionality is like, how do you how do you develop? I mean, just just as human beings being more multidimensional, right? That's a, that's a yeah. pretty you know, that's a, I, I'd, I'd like to think that's something worth striving I, for, I, right? I always feel like one of the reasons that we are not being multidimensional that all around the world as well is that something is because of the market itself as well, mm -hmm. because the market are tend to go at one style and one style only. Mm -hmm. And, but because people are making money as well at the same time. So mm -hmm. when you're making money in the same times, you don't tend to try to change that trend a little bit. You just go with the flow a little bit. So like in Hong Kong, people are buying Jumai Daikinjo and Jumai Daikinjo only, and you're making money. So yeah. in that part, I feel like the industry in Hong Kong also have a certain kind of responsibility to help move things more multi-dimension. That is mm. something that we should work on as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's and you, It looks like I, I think Lorenzo has, yeah. has, has some, yeah, jump in there. Can I jump in? Because Hugo is really is really like like my kind of like Asian uh, other side. Because um, <laughs> in, in Italy we have in Europe we have similar uh, situation where some countries of Europe believe that Jumaida Ginjo it's the best and Honjozo it's the worst. But for instance, in Italy we don't have that, and to get that 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 point we took it took many years of talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and education. And again, um, there is a situation where people don't actually know what's a case. And Italian people, when they go and buy a Chianti, you know, Chianti is a Toscan wine. Um, we have low quantity quality wise and higher quantity quantity quality wise and depends on price so if you think quantity it's the only one thing if you spend less you have lower quality if you spend more you have higher quality but with sake it's not like that 
because price doesn't depend on quality only. Mm. So your mind will cost less because it's less difficult to make or it's less, you know, um, uh, maybe your, your raw material yeah. cost might be less or something. So, yeah. So at the end of the day, there is a bit more to tell mm. for uh, justifying a purchase of, of sake. And that's actually a because Hugo actually brought into this discussion some kind of uh, economical uh, situation, mm -hmm. that's something that can become a point of sales. I mean, in Italy, we sell more Jumai than Jumai da Ginjo. When in, in France, they only sell Jumai da Ginjo, they don't sell almost a bottle of, of Jumai. I'm not sure which of the two is good, but there are two different situations. And probably the the taste of it. I mean the 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 cuisine, the, the recipes, they would justify to my more than to my daginja, I believe, because you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely. Sorry, sorry for, for No, absolutely. In. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm glad you did. And I said and it's a good point, because this idea of communication, I think, is is incredibly important in and for lack of a better word, education, that understanding. I mean, you're, we're talking about, you know, the idea of, you know, say like a Jumai or Jumai Ginjo and having that be one dimension versus something else you were talking about, Hugo, you know, we could do seminars on soil or all these very hyper-specific things, things which maybe tie into sort of what Monica, what you were mentioning about, you know, doing sessions focusing on limestone and communicating, you know, um, you know, using sort of comparative language um, to wine and these other things. And there's different approaches to that sort of multidimensionality. And I, and it's something that we're going to, I think we're going to have to embrace, but we're also going to have to, I don't want to say contend with, we're going to have to embrace it because it's in a number of ways, I think not yeah. just the sake industry, but drinks in general are becoming multidimensional yeah. in more ways. Yeah. yeah with, 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 yeah, sorry, because it's very much on my personal, my day, everyday life. So I want to tell what's uh, what's uh, uh, involving it. So basically, um, I believe in each country we have a cultural food heritage. Mm -hmm. uh, so in Italy we eat spaghetti, and in 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 America I don't know, in in Hong Kong yeah. I don't know, but if we manage to connect sake with spaghetti, then mm. sake will become daily. And then yeah. the full knowledge of, of sake will become more daily sake. But if yeah. you connect sake with sushi and that's it, then mm. we will, uh, we're mm. going to eat sushi and sake and that's it. So the effort mm. is to connect sake with burger or with uh, you know a yakitori or i don't know with other things yeah. which are local in there so that's why in italy we're trying to connect uh, a sake with parmesan parmigiano reggiano cheese yeah. which is going to yeah. be the main player of this year milano sake challenge basically so there, there is there's a lot of effort that we need to bring down to the to the ground to connect local cheese Local, not cheese, local food with with sake to help people to connect uh, their everyday food and 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 drink style to sake because sake is a, is a stranger yet. Yeah. So we need to use that asset not as a, as an opponent but as an asset to you know as yeah. a, as an open door to bring it in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a way to you know to to. 
talk to Hugo's problems because you know, he told yeah. them the, the ones that he, you tell you told before, right? So yeah, right. It's 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 kind of a shared universal concept that we have to all kind of latch onto yeah. and, and and get it onto. But how that then is implemented and how that looks in different places is going to look very different, right? Depending on those local right context with with food yeah. culture and and whatnot. I guess right. I, I want to have a make sure we have a little bit of time for Q and A here at the end. But I kind of I wanted just real quick, I guess, before we um, sign off, sign over to that, I wanted to take just a quick moment to sort of look into the future a little bit because obviously it's you know we can't predict what's going to happen. Um, but the reality is, and something I was just sort of laying in bed awake last night, sort of thinking about is that I think that probably for everyone here, the reason that we're here is because we've sort of taken it, we've, for lack of a better word, discovered sake. And we've sort of taken it as a given that sake taking off and developing to some sort of uh, mature global market, it's it's not a matter of, or it's not a question of if, it's more of just a matter of when. When is that going to happen? I think we probably all hoped that maybe it would have happened two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, it's obviously growing in popularity, but it's not your yet, right? Um, and so while I'm convinced you know, it's still the case and it is going to happen, um, the fact that we aren't there yet means that sake is going to come it, it's it's going to come to age in a world that's very different from the one in which a lot of the approaches to education or communication or the values of the industry or the strategies um, to things like sales and communication and education were established over kind of the last five, 10 years. You know, we were looking at in a world where, okay, how does this compare to wine? How does this compare to beer? How does this look against or rival to or alongside other categories? Whereas now I think, you know, we're seeing that sake is going to have to find a place in a world where more drinkers are maybe less brand loyal um, the more category agnostic, um, and they're welcoming of different types of beverages, drinks, adult beverages of all kinds, where the lines are a lot more blurry, right? So where it's, in some cases, it's often even challenging to decipher what the, that core product actually is. You know, is it a fermented juice? Is it a tea? Is it a wine? Is it a sake? Is it a, you know, all these things? Is is it a spirit? Is it a spirit with something else? Um, and so we're seeing a lot more competition and things in the market from drinks that are defined more by, you know, a message or a set of values or some lifestyle proposition or something, as opposed to maybe something that's rooted in an origin story or a culture, or that feels like it's very tied to something. And I'm just, and I don't have the answer. I don't know what this is, but I'm just sort of curious, you know, what does this mean for sake and sort of how we approach the category today and going forward, knowing that for the for sake to mature and come of age, it's going to have to do so in a world that's quite different from the one that we've been that we've been building under. And I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing this out kind of to to everybody. I don't know. Is anybody? How are you thinking about that? As you look at you know more people opening so many different kinds of beverages and people fleeing from one to the next and and all those things. Um, maybe I'll just go first. Yeah, I. Go for it. I, I love the idea of having a lot more choices, actually. Yeah. Choices are not bad. Like, choices are really good because you let the cu uh, customers to choose by themselves. They actually think to find something that they really, really like. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the the good points that Lorenzo was talking about is that how you implement something that is pretty much very local and 
into people's houses, right? Um, I think one of the problems back in Hong Kong is that I, I was talking about is people treat like alcohol normally as very luxurious things. But in Japan, it's very, very, very different. Like you can find sake in each household very easily. They would just go buy a sake and just go for drinking. Like like when they do like eating, they just have just one cup of sake, like those kind of things. Like these kind of like, um, consumer choices um, is something that we have to educate in in different markets. I think, like um, having choices are, are not bad. Like you'll have liqueur in in one side, you'll have spirits in one side. We have like um, in Hong Kong, we have people making gins, but we don't have people in Hong Kong making crab sake at the moment. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different reasons. One of them is investment problem, and the other thing is that you'll have like rental issues and everything that has come with like laws that comes inside that country as well but these kind of things are things that we should tackle in the future is that we have to study why certain products it's pretty much having a market inside a certain places for example like in hong kong people like to have uh, um, cocktails for example and when they like to have cocktails, they will need basic liqueurs. So the need is already there. And especially in the last two years, when the whole world is closed, it, you will have people that just come up and have their own um, distilleries that made as well. Um, I think these are opportunities for the whole industry, not just for sake, but like the whole industry, the alcohol, uh, the alcohol beverage industry too. To actually evolve in the future as well like it's really really good uh, but in the same times in japan i think some of the japanese um sakakuras or like peoples from the sakakuras have to realize that um the world is evolving and the world is evolving very rapidly sometimes so sometimes when it's re- re- uh, evolving very rapidly you have to catch up and sometimes catching up is very tight for them and for me as well, it's the same thing, like catching up is very tired. But um, to in order to know more about your customers and response to their needs, but also having your roots inside your 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 the product that you're producing, it's very, very important, I think. But the way to how to tell stories is also very important as well for them, not just for them, for us as well. And I think this is the whole industry that needs to work on in the future as well, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Beaming in now from from Tokyo, everybody. This has been. I'm, I feel bad busting in on you guys, and <laughs> and uh, I know there's a, a ton more that just this one question could could cover a lot more territory. But yeah. we do have some questions from the chat that I think are perfect for exactly what we've been discussing towards the end of this conversation. And if I can just steer one of these questions towards uh, Lorenzo. And, and also, well, this is really for everyone, but I would like to start with Lorenzo. There was a question in, in the chat that asks about food. Um, and you were talking about Parmigiano Reggiano. And, and the question here is, of course, many Japanese restaurants serve sake. But do you think that um, restaurants in Italy, the chefs, the owners, are really interested in incorporating sake into their beverage programs to, to pair with their food? Um, not just the stereotypical 
Japanese fare, as we were discussing before, but busting out of that world and, and pairing the food with, with other types of cuisine. What do you think the reception to that is in Italy, Lorenzo? Okay. Well, what I'm going to tell, it's not what I think, it's actually what I sell. So it's actually actual facts. Um, we have clients, uh, let's make three cluster of clients. One cluster is the Italian cuisine. Uh, I want to be a Michelin star. Those clients that I want to be, but I'm not yet, they expand on sake to have that touch to get something more than the normal wine or other beverages. So definitely, it's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when, but definitely Italian cuisine has embraced um, the sake in a menu of drinks and in the kitchen, in making food for the umami sector and, uh, and, and other um, taste reasons. Uh, I'll give you a, a wide example. I have a, a client, I, I go very, uh, I have a very a wide pride of this client because it's a hamburger chain. And you would say, oh, how does sake come along with hamburger? But they, uh, they have uh, many hamburger place, uh, many hamburger stores, and they have in the menu, they have all the hamburgers and a column with wine. This hamburger goes with wine, this wine, and this hamburger goes with this sake. So you can choose whether the wine or the sake. So let's say uh, the hamburger go is with cheese and, and uh, double cheese, and I don't know, very cheesy. And then you have the kimoto as a susume, as you say, as a uh, susume. Uh, recommendation. Uh, recommendation. And then, and then you have the other with the truffle. And then you have maybe a sort of a jukushu or a kosho or something. So a bit more, you know, body and age, the sake. So it's, of course, you wouldn't have the jumairai ginjo. But again, Japanese people, sorry to be blunt, they think Japanese, they think jumairai ginjo is the best. It's not the best. It's the toughest to make. But sometimes it's not the best, at least in Italian cuisine, in French cuisine. So the, the more they understand that jumairai ginjo, it's not the best, but it's the toughest, the fastest they will get to the European country because our taste, it's used to wine. Wine has tannins, has body, has structure. So the Jumeirah Ginjo is far from that. So we need to have some sake that satisfies the use that we have to our taste, I believe. So sometimes um, Japanese people, uh, Japanese makers come with Jumeirah Ginjo say, let's See, we have made with super superb Jumaida Ginjo. But the thing is, everybody has Jumaida Ginjo. But right. what, we, what we don't have is the tricky, like the aged in some, you know, some, some, some super, like, like, very sophisticated, some, some new age, new, new, new yeah. taste that goes with the Italian uh, taste, like cheese, and, and we have tomato, we have olives, we have mushrooms. Sure. So we still have all that stuff. So, yeah, the, 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 the quick answer is uh, yes, definitely. Uh, Italian yeah. cuisine want to have sake. 
Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm, that was exactly the answer I was hoping to hear from you. And I think this gives me a chance to talk to Monica as well, a very similar, uh, well, it's a, it, to branch off from that question, but bringing this message that Aruten or other grades of, of sake are very much worth your time and breaking people out of those. It, well, it's the education that came years and years ago. I think that that people were trained to go for the Junmai, and what is the I, this kind of taps into a question that we got from Atsuto Nakano on YouTube, and he asks, um, of course, the education, the marketing are, are very important, but what do you think is the key? And I think we can kind of bend that question into what I'm asking right now. What is the key to getting people to pay attention to something that doesn't have Junmai? in the title you know i think um i think that really extolling the art of aruten you know i think that there's so much uh appreciation for the art of blending as it relates to japanese whiskey and you know i think people think about blending i think it's it's easy to talk to a chef about it because it's kind of like you know putting the seasoning on a dish you know you 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 need to it's not done as a for financial reasons which i think i think if you create a little romance around why this this blending is done and uh instead of i think a lot of people kind of introduce aruten apologetically and and i think that you know junmai translating into pure rice sake inspires these purists who think that pure is better but um but i think that i, I think it's particularly uh easier to um, introduce in a wine world because people are used to cuvées and assemblage and blending in general um but i and i think i our team always just uses the word crushable when we talk about Aruten versus right. Junmai, you know, it's, it's, it's straightforward, bright. It's, it, you can, if you're going to drink sake all night long, you know, Aruten's not going to, not going to weigh down your palate and, and, and you don't need to really overthink the food pairing. And so it's kind mm. of this like porch pounder, like easy day drinking style that our team really happens to love to sell almost too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a great way to think about it. It's just who are you who are you talking to with these products? Who's your audience? How do you how do you get them uh, to clue in on these things? So yeah, there's there's a key to the marketing there, Atsuko. And and I apologize, we are just um, sort of running to the end of our time. So I think we can probably do. We have time for one more question. I think two more, one or two more questions. So um, one one other question that came up on in the chat. Uh, from Harold Durop was um, how do you distinguish your brand and and obviously this one was addressed to Hugo so I'm 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 throwing this one in your direction um, how do you dis distinguish your brands from the competition that you talked about and how the market has gotten quite crowded over the last few years in terms of the number of new retailers um, distributors importers how do you distinguish your brand in the Hong Kong market against the competition? And can you give us any examples of the actual ways that you've differentiated? Um, thank you for the questions. Um, I think like distinguishing is um, that the most fundamental part for us to distinguish ourselves from others is that we are English speaking companies. So 
if you come to Hong Kong, I think it's really hard to find a place that's so dedicated to sake, but you have English speakers in there talking to you about like um, sake and knowledge and everything in English. I think that is one of the plus and a, a very big plus that we have from inside like Hong Kong. Most of the competitions that we have, they are um, pretty much locals and they speak Cantonese and they speak um, Cantonese only sometimes as well. And they don't have a people that is inside their shop that can that can also guide you through with fluent English. I think that is something that we are very successful and we're very blessed to have a, such a great team that we have a lot of different English speakers in inside our shop that can that can explain things to people. Um, I think one of the things that we also really are successful or like we can distinguish ourselves is that we do things quite differently than most of the other competitors. Um, we don't focus on distributions. Uh, we do distributions as well, but we don't focus on distributions. We rather focus on um, how to uh, communicate and, and work with the Japanese government with different departments like uh, the agriculture departments, like the, the, the educational departments, like um, we work with these peoples and we um, do projects for them. Like for examples, we do um, um, a World Sake Day uh, 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 online Kampai event, which um, is a very big event that is, has a support from the Japanese government to do it. So we would like to focus on making events and ceremonies and in that like that particular categories we can help educate meet new peoples introduce sakes to new peoples i think we have that kind of channels that very specific right now is us that having that channel to do these kind of things in hong kong and i think we're pretty successful at this period of the moment Excellent. Thank you very much for, for that. It sounds like um, you definitely have your, your way to differentiate yourself to make sure that you stand out from the competition. And good luck to you. Good luck to everyone um, moving forward in your various markets around the world. Um, Justin, just to kind of wrap this up with you, I'm going to allow you to have the last word here before I um, break off to uh, our next session. But uh, What's what's your what can you give us a takeaway here? What are you excited about? <laughs> so I, I'm excited for Sake Future Summit 2023. <laughs> you know, as we sort of talked about at the beginning, it's just, we've kind of really just managed to dive into these conversations. And so this has actually been a really fantastic opportunity for me as well um, to kind of reconnect with everybody and realize that actually some of the things that we're up against, you know, in our in our own individual silos here, you know, by dedicating the time to reach out um, sh and share amongst ourselves, as well as with, you know, our listeners and, and viewers um, and the folks that are actually going out and spending the time and energy and dedicating themselves, you know, day to day as part of their daily life um, to these uh, beautiful beverages that we love, like just finding ways to further create these opportunities more consistently um, and develop those um, communities and sort of nurture those networks even better. And so um, I guess, gosh, I have to thank Hugo, Monica, Lorenzo, thank you so much for making time this morning, evening. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and an honor, and I certainly hope we'll be able to continue this conversation here very soon. And I'll be sticking around for session two and day two.
All right, thanks, Justin. And thank you everybody else on the panel for joining us today. And thank you to everybody who's watching out there around the world for your questions that we were able to relay here at the end during the Q&A. Great session uh, hosted by Justin Potts with Monica, also in America. Uh, we had Hugo in Hong Kong and Lorenzo in Italy. And we heard from, from some of the, the movers and shakers, the really influential people in the industry who are bringing the education to people around the world. We heard straight from them how, what the challenges have been over the last couple of years and where they think this is going to be bringing us in the future. Um, the exciting thing about this, at least from my perspective, is that all of this education that has uh, helped to solidify the foundation of interest in, in sake around the world was done to an incredibly competent degree. And what we're talking about now is a situation where it feels like, to me anyway, where there's an opportunity for consumers to start to figure out what the next level is. Where, where do we go from here? Um, how do you take your appreciation for the beauty that is Ejun Mai Sake and, and start searching for new things that you, you, you love those aromas, you love, those, you love the, the feeling, the mouthfeel of these beautiful drinks. How do you take it in the direction of a honjozo, a, a, a one of those sessionable drinks that Monica was speaking of, and one that maybe you don't have to worry so much about the pairing opportunities. I think this progression is only possible because of the amazing work that's been done for the last decade and more by some of the very people who were just sitting at that table and who were talking to us for the past hour. So hats off to them. And also hats off to all the people around the world who are watching this. You, I hope that you'll go out there and find your new love within sake. What's that next brand that's going to excite you for the rest of this month? And, but don't be afraid to be brand agnostic or category agnostic, as Justin was talking about. Um, don't be afraid to discover new things. The sake industry is filled with surprises. And there is a lot more in store for you, so much that is coming your way. And it's thanks to people like Monica, Justin, Lorenzo, and Hugo. And so that will do it for one more episode of Sake On Air. If you have any questions for us, you can reach out to us at questions at sakeonair.com or get in touch with us uh, by searching for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The show is brought to you uh, with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and more often than not, broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center located in the heart of Tokyo. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with a brand new episode of Sake on Air, so please do stay tuned and come by.